Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Mastermind.fm. Your hosts today are Ninja James Laws of Ninja Forms fame and myself, John Galea from WP Mayor and WP RSS Aggregator. Today, we're going to be having a guest on the show, David Pihamberger. He's the man behind FatCat App, which is a plugin company. And uh, yeah, he's a digital nomad. So in this episode, we'll be talking about travel and being a remote worker and developing a business while traveling. So David has been doing this since 2010. And I actually met him for the first time in Chiang Mai while on my digital nomad journey myself. So yeah, we made the connection in Chiang Mai and then we've remained good friends since then. So today we're going to be discussing digital nomadism and James is going to be learning more about this topic since he hasn't experienced it and he starts out with this aversion to perhaps traveling and working in foreign places. So on our end, myself and David will be speaking about why we chose to have this lifestyle and travel while we're working and you know the challenges and advantages of such a lifestyle. So before we start off, let's take a short break from our sponsor and we'll be back with you soon. Before we get started today, we'd like to take a moment to thank WP Engine, one of the premier managed hosting services for the WordPress community. They've become the first official sponsor of Mastermind.fm and have an offer exclusively for you, our listeners. If you give WP Engine's one-year managed hosting plan a try, the first four months are on them. Just enter the coupon code MASTERMIND at checkout. Now, we can't speak highly enough of WP Engine as a managed WordPress hosting service. They're one of the best, and if you're in the market for a host, looking to upgrade, or just curious about their plans, look them up and give them a try. You won't be disappointed. If you do wind up on board, send us an email at podcast at mastermind.fm and tell us about your experience. We'd love to hear from you. Okay, we're really excited for this uh, conversation, this particular episode. Uh, obviously, Jean is with me, and as a special guest, we have uh, David. And I asked for your how to pronounce your last name, so I, I, it's possible that I still get this wrong. But it's David Heenberger, yep, correct? That's correct. Close enough, anyway, for my uh, clumsy American accent. Yep, pretty uh, good. <laughs> so we're talking. We decided we we had you on the show, especially you and John both have this connection, and we we all have different backgrounds with you, David. Uh, I know you've done some collaborative work with us with Ninja Forms. You have our you do the Zapier add-on that we sell. Uh, and you're actually about to release a Twilio add-on pretty soon, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And 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 John, you go back a few years through a meetup that you guys met at, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But we're talking about this 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 topic of what we've what's been called digital nomadism. Uh, and before we get into your background, Dave, and you start to kind of share how you got into development and into WordPress and how you kind of handle this digital nomadism, let's go ahead and define that topic. Would you uh, be willing to kind of give our listeners kind of uh, an overview of what does it mean to be a digital nomad? Right. I guess in my mind, it would really be defined as somebody who doesn't really have a home base and who's more or less constantly traveling and either living out of a suitcase or living out of some giant backpack or maybe even a small backpack. Yeah, it's somebody who constantly relocates and constantly travels to new countries and does this over the long term. That's very cool. And I feel like that in, a, in the spirit of entrepreneurism, that actually feels like it fits on some level, right? Because entrepreneurs tend to be 
wandering from idea to idea, chasing the thing that they want to do next. They're never really satisfied in the project. Most most entrepreneurs, they start something, and as soon as it becomes an actual business, they go, eh, I want to start something else, and they kind of want to move on. So right. it feels like there is this kind of weird synergy between entrepreneurism and digital nomadism, kind of out of just natural flow. Yeah, that's true. I think uh, this excitement that you get when you start something new or you go to a new place, I, I do think there's a couple uh, correlations there for sure. That's very cool. Well, David, why don't you, uh, for those people who may not know you, why don't you give us a little bit of a background? How did you get started into into WordPress, into development, into this kind of this nomad lifestyle? How did, how did you kind of move into that? Yeah, so... I actually got into this nomad lifestyle before I even got that involved with the WordPress space. So as probably many other nomads, I read this book by Tim Ferriss with a somewhat cheesy title of Four Hour Work Week. <laughs> that was that's I read that book and it wasn't necessarily the four hour work week aspect of doing as little work as possible that attracted me, but what that book really did is it made me realize that it was possible to actually run a business while traveling the world, while being in charge of your own time and having all this freedom. So I was super inspired by the book and saved up a little bit of money. Didn't really have a clear plan, but I just bought a one-way ticket to Thailand, which was like six and a half years ago, and traveled around for a bit. And eventually I linked up with a couple other internet entrepreneurs, uh, in particular Dan from the Tropical MBA podcast, did like an e-commerce business. And he was living in the Philippines at the time, and I met up with him and started working for him. So that, that that's what initially got me started. Wow, that's so. So let's paint this picture. So six years ago, uh, where were you at the time? You were living in. I was in I was in Austria. So I just had finished school. There's actually compulsory military service in Austria, which I had just finished. So I was like a young kid. Didn't really. So that, that's one thing that really helped is I really didn't have anything going on at that time. I just had everything wrapped up, didn't have a girlfriend. So it was just quite easy to buy one-way ticket to Thailand, right? Um, I didn't feel like there was anything holding me back. Well, that sounds, it's still, though, at a, at a young age, you're, you're just finishing, you're in Austria, yeah. to buy a one-way ticket to Thailand, uh, <laughs> where at the time, I'm assuming you really didn't know anyone. No, I didn't. And... You, you're just gonna take off, and you've made a fairly permanent decision in the sense that I'm not I'm not making this an easy way back. I'm going, and for as long as it takes, I'm gonna figure something out. That that seems like a really scary venture, even even if you have no ties or nothing necessarily holding you back. Um, it did seem quite exciting for sure, yeah. But uh, mm -hmm. I didn't personally know anybody, but there was already a small... So this whole digital nomad scene has really exploded in the last couple of years. But even back then, there was a number of people who, say, were living in Thailand and they were blogging about it. And there was like a small community of people. So I definitely saw that other people managed to do it. I don't think it was that permanent of a decision either, though, even with the one-way ticket. Basically, <laughs> the worst case scenario in my mind was, you know, as long as I've got a couple hundred bucks left in the bank account, I could always buy a, a ticket and fly back <laughs> to Austria and I'll be fine. So Sure. It, it didn't really seem that risky. Um, like maybe it seems kind of crazy, but actually I think it wasn't that unreasonable, really. <laughs> may, may, I, I guess, you know, when I think about digital nomadism, we're going to talk a little bit about productivity and burnout and stuff later and how do yeah. you deal with all of that. But when I think of it initially, it doesn't sound appealing to me. Now, this is this is the, the why I say this is because I actually mm -hmm. enjoy travel. But, you know, I do six WordCamps or conferences in a year for a weekend, and I'm done. Yeah. Like, I want to be home, and I want mm. my permanent residence. I, I don't feel like I get rest unless I'm there. Right. So, 
the whole idea, the, it actually kind of is a, a kind of builds anxiety in me to think of just, oh, I'm going to up and buy a ticket and leave. Now, granted, it's different now for me. Yeah, Obviously, right. I'm married. I have a kid. I can't mm. necessarily just just do that uh, without a whole lot of other planning involved in that process. But uh, it sounds a little, it does it does sound to me like it would be anxiety driven. But I guess as 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 a young man who's just kind of starting out, kind of deciding what he's going to do with his career, with his life, where with his trajectory, uh, there is a little bit of excitement to say, eh, yeah, for sure. What's you know what's the worst? I lose a few months, you know, whatever. Exactly. Uh, so now you you get to Thailand and you're you what happens there? I mean, you you've moved, you've relocated. How do you <laughs> where do you go from here? Well, all right, so. I didn't really have a very clear plan, so I was doing a bit of backpacking at first, and then about two months into the trip, I was actually in the Philippines at the time, this guy Dan from the Tropical MBA podcast, he had one of those job offers where he was basically looking for somebody to help him run the internet marketing for his uh, e-commerce stores, and I applied for that, and the fact that I already was in Asia gave me a huge leg up, and I got that job, and that's what I did for about two years as a, yeah. That's very cool. Now, John, you, you, you also have some experience with this whole digital. Now, you, we, we're kind of looking at two different perspectives because, Dave, you're, you're still kind of in the, the peak of this. I don't really have a home base. I'm, I'm, kinda, I'm still traveling. I'm still doing a lot of that. And, John, you're kind of on the back end. You've, you've, you've done your stint of a lot of traveling, and now you are wrapping up. Why don't, why don't you, we get your perspective, a little bit of your background, how you got into digital nomadism so that we just kind of have a clear picture. Yeah, I think in my case, perhaps it was more of a conscious decision to travel, you know, maybe I was just fed up with being on an island where I was born, Malta, basically. I felt it was too small and I wanted to explore more of the world. And that's when I left to Spain. I initially went to Spain. So that was perhaps an easier transition than just going to Asia. And following that, I just moved back to Malta and then to Thailand after having met Aliona, who's now my wife. And um, so my perspective is more, apart from those initial six months that I spent in Mallorca and Spain, it's more of travel as a couple as well. So I think since we were both able to work online, we saw no point of just staying in Malta, but we wanted to explore the world and that's what took us to Thailand. And as David mentioned, although we didn't know anyone in Thailand, there was already a lot of activity amongst bloggers who were sharing their experience, even having the breakdowns of costs, like for apartments, for traveling around the city, food and everything. So basically, you could just get this template from other bloggers and hopefully apply it to yourself as well. So that's interesting. So both of you said there's there was this little bit of a kind of this digital nomad community uh, that was kind of building up around this concept of travel and and kind of making your way that way. Is there any resources that you guys would recommend to somebody who's saying, all right, I'm listening to this. Either I'm of the same persuasion. I'm young. I'm, I'm able to kind of start doing something like this or I'm just sick of where I am. Right. And I just want to want to change of pace. Is there what resources would you recommend them checking out to learn a little bit more about how to do this? If I may preface with something that you mentioned that it's hard for you to imagine moving somewhere else, you know. So I think the prerequisite would be that, you know, you have very little, very few things holding you back. Like in David's case, he was just out of school and the army, single, you know. In my case, I was also young and had my, my new girlfriend who had no roots in Malta. She was coming all the way from Russia. And so we didn't have anything to hold us back. I would say there was more things pushing us away from where we were than things holding us back. 
And if you've got lots of possessions and, you know, you're really rooted in your community, that makes it much harder. Yeah, it seems like there is a number of reasons why digital nomadism may may work, right? There could be some personality-ish things in there, like certain personality types are more prone to want to travel. Uh, cultural, there's there could be some cultural connections there. Uh, and then, like you said, there could be things pushing you away uh, or things drawing you to a new, lo- new location and you want to explore that. Uh, so so with that in mind, and, and that was a great kind of, hey, let, if, you're, if you're thinking about this, these are things that you should be considering and, and how you kind of know if you're maybe ready for this. So back to those resources, uh, I, I think, David, you were about to say something about that. Right. Yeah, so there's the Nomad List. I think it's nomadlist.io website that basically lists some of the most popular digital nomad destinations. And I think they've got a forum and some Slack channel attached to it. So that's probably a good place to get started. The other community that I really like is the Dynamite Circle. So that is the community of Dan and Ian from the Traffic MBA podcast. And in there you find tends to be more established uh, business owners that like to travel or that live in Asia that are kind of in the digital nomad scene as well. That's a bit more for established business owners. So I'm a big fan of those too. Yeah, I would second those two resources. And in my case, I also used WordPress as a way to meet people. So when I went to Thailand, I remember just walking into cafes. There's lots of cafes in Thailand and I believe even in Vietnam where David is. So I used to walk into cafes and see WordPress everywhere. Everybody is working on something related to WordPress. I would just walk up to people and speak to them, you know. I can remember this funny incident where this guy was searching in Google, you know. And I, as I just walked past him, I see my face. And that was the time when Google still showed the author of the blog post and the Google search results. So I just tapped his shoulder. Hey, do you need something? <laughs> <laughs> that was very funny. But then I also created the WordPress meetup group in Chiang Mai, you know, and that's where I met you, David, and other very nice people that became my friends over time. And that's how I basically made friends in a new country. That's very cool. All right. I have some questions that I want to kind of dive into. But before we do, let's go ahead and take a real quick break for one of our sponsors. Mastermind.fm would like to take a moment to introduce you to Influx WordPress customer support. Helping your users understand and make the most of your product is an around-the-clock job, and even the largest businesses need a hand with support sometimes. Influx will augment your team and take the stress out of scaling and scheduling 24 hours a day, every day of the year. Pricing is transparent and scalable, so you're sure to find the service that's right for you and yours. Take a look right away at Influx.com to find your specialized WordPress customer support solution. Okay, so we're talking about digital nomadism. We've talked about some of the reasons why someone might want to travel. I've talked about some of the reasons why someone might not want to travel. David, let's get, give some perspective. Where are you right now as we're recording this podcast? Okay, so I'm in Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam. Okay, and, and you're in a cafe currently. <laughs> I'm in a cafe. I got, uh, it's a uh, rainy season still and there's some pretty heavy monsoon rainfall. So I, I got stuck in the cafe. I was supposed to record this from home, but <laughs> I think the audio quality is going to hold up. Hopefully. I think it's going to be okay. So I just want to kind of get, get some perspective. We got a little bit of John's kind of travels and some of the places he went to Spain. So you, we know you were in Austria, mm. then you went to Thailand. Where are some of the other places you have traveled since you've started this journey? 
Oh, so I've spent the majority of my time in Southeast Asia, spent like a year in Bali, a year in Thailand, a year in the Philippines, which was early on when I first got that remote job doing the marketing for the Gimmaster. And I've probably spent the majority of the last four years in Vietnam. So that I think that also kind of, we'll talk about this a bit later, but after doing constant traveling for a while, you really tend to get tired of it and you'll probably start to want settling down to some degree. And that's definitely something that's happened to me. Um, other places I've been to, I love Barcelona. I think you're there right now. Are no, you? I'm in Gozo. Oh, you're, you're back in Malta. Gozo right? is, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's another okay. island, part of the Maltese island. Okay. Yeah, so I spent quite a bit of time in um Europe, in particular Prague, Barcelona. I was in uh, Lisbon about a month ago. And this year also did two months in the US and two months in Japan. Wow, very cool. Uh, and Jean, you've been primarily, right, you've been in, give us kind of some of your breakdown of where you've been. Yeah, so basically I always kept Malta as my base. And uh, so for a couple of years, we we're just going somewhere else for the winter. So we went to Mexico, to Thailand twice. And another summer, we just traveled all over Europe. And, uh, and yeah, now we're in Gozo, which is we're spending a few months here before moving again, probably to Barcelona. So that's kind of what we've been up to. Obviously, my, my, if I had to choose a favorite place for digital nomads and perhaps ground zero, that would be Chiang Mai. Yeah. But I'm very interested in Vietnam since I haven't been there. So oh, really? I'd like to wow. know what David thinks of it. Well, that was actually going to be my next question was kind of what are the best places, right? Like what are the best places for this kind of lifestyle? Right. Yes, I would agree that Ground Zero, if you haven't done this before, you don't know anybody. Maybe your business is in early stages as well. Uh, Chiang Mai in Thailand is the place to go. There's tons of nomads there. The food is great. Everything is quite cheap. Uh, life is really, really easy. I think I think that's a great starting point. Other places that are quite popular are Bangkok. Bangkok's very different, a very different beast from Chiang Mai, right? It's a huge city with tons of stuff going on. Can be quite cheap, can also be ridiculously expensive based on your lifestyle and what kind of stuff you like. You know, got like $100 sushi sets and all that kind of stuff there. <laughs> um, so the, the, the sky is the limit. I'm a big fan of Ho Chi Minh City. I've spent a lot of time here and there's a pretty good crowd of people as well. I'm a big fan of the coffee shop scene, the food, great community of people. I guess Barcelona is very popular in Europe, right? And you're a big fan. Yeah, so in my case, I would say Barcelona is my favorite place in Europe. And so if anyone had to ask me who had to start from Europe, where would you go? I would say Barcelona. It's a very, how to say, multicultural city. Accommodation is easy to find, although quite expensive compared to Asia. And there's lots of things to do, lots of restaurants and an amazing meetup culture there. Even better than Chiang Mai, I think. And flights are very good there from Barcelona, even to the US and to all over Europe. So we have, right, we have single and traveling. We have married and traveling. Do you see it being problematic for people? Do you, I, I guess I'm wondering, is there is there a space for digital nomadism for the family? Like you have kids and but you still want to to do this. It seems like that is a, a such a much more daunting challenge to try to do something like this. Do you do you guys have any experience with that with people you've met, people you've had conversations with uh, with this kind of family traveling, trying to do this? 
So there's one family that I know that does that. They, they're the McKeegans. They've got a company called Greenback Taxes. And I do believe there's a Tropic NBA podcast episode about it. I'll try to find the link and send it to you guys so you can link to it in the show notes. So they've got two kids, uh, like whatever, three, five years old. And they've been living this lifestyle for a couple of years and it seems to work very well. But they pretty much seem to be the exception. Okay, yeah. I would. I, it seems like it would be challenging. I mean, I only have a two-year-old, but I could not imagine uprooting that two-year-old into new locations and, and kind of new experiences. Uh, you know, kids so much need kind of consistency and they need that kind of that habitual thing, this routine that happens. And it doesn't seem like that's very conducive in the nomadic lifestyle of, well, there is not a lot of routine. <laughs> I think uh, for, I've seen what I can say about single travel, which I've done, then just... Uh, traveling as a couple and you know nothing changes when you're married with kids i know a few other couples who are doing it even in chiang mai it seems not to be a big issue provided again that you've already had some travel experience before you you've downsized your life and uh, i think the biggest issue is school actually so if your mm. kid is already in school then it's perhaps hard Although I know others who, who have done it, but most of they tend to travel, say, from Europe, go live in Thailand for a few years, put the kid in an international school, and then perhaps move after a few years. So it's not the constant travel that we see when we see younger couples or single people. That's interesting. Let me let me ask you this. So I, from from my perspective, I tend to be a little obsessive compulsive so i need my i much like my two-year-old i need routine <laughs> to stay productive mm -hmm. and to get things done how does that fit into this lifestyle where things are changing all the time you're working in a different cafe or a different city uh, all the time how do you how do you stay productive and, and actually get stuff done like that just seems like that would be a huge challenge yeah um I think you already mentioned the keyword here, which is routines. I think you just have to make a concerned effort that you maintain routines and build positive habits, even when you relocate. So here in Vietnam right now, every day is more or less the same, you know, like I go to the same coffee shop or the same co-working space, probably eat at the same restaurant for lunch, um, you know, go work out at the gym in the afternoon. I think it's really important to build those routines and habits because otherwise I cannot get anything done. You know, there's all these people who maybe they read the four work week and they want to escape the nine to five, but actually nine to five is actually what makes you productive, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I agree. Uh, do, you, do you find when you get to a new place, so you, you transition to a new location, maybe a new city or whatever, that there takes some time of settling in, like you have to get the newness has to wear off before you can really deep dive back into work? Mm -hmm. I think I've done it so many times now, so I'm pretty good at it. But depending on the city, it might take me like a day or two to get set up. So again, that's identifying a couple of coffee shops or a co-working space near my accommodation maybe identifying a gym and then just like trying to get into that routine. Um, yeah, I think I think it's suitable. The more you do it, the easier it gets. Yeah, I, in my case, I think I've done a pretty horrible job at getting productive in, <laughs> during my travels. <laughs> I'm, I'm being honest. So <laughs> I'm big into apps and productivity and all that, but really it's, it's very distracting when you're traveling, especially if you're traveling every one or two months, you know, it's very hard. And obviously, let's imagine you leave from Europe going to Asia, you arrive in Thailand, obviously you want to see the place, right? So it's not like you're gonna go settle in a co-working space and start working eight hours a day. 
I think the first instinct is to wa want to get to know the place, you know, spend time going around. And uh, perhaps because of all my travels have been these shorter stints, like four months, five months max, that's always been an issue for me. I think in your case, David, since I think you by now know Vietnam quite well, so it's easy for you to go back and settle down. Same case for me if I come back to Malta or Barcelona. There's not much, you know, I can just go to Barcelona tomorrow, find an apartment and start working without any problem. But I, I remember even when I went to Mexico, there was like this huge source of anxiety where I would wake up every day. We're living 50 meters from the beach. So I'm seeing people passing by with their bags and their umbrellas going to the beach. And I'm like, what should I do? Should I go to the beach? Because it's great here. I'm never going to come back maybe again <laughs> or work. <laughs> and it's hard, you know, sometimes it's better if you're yeah. just in an ugly place, have a nice office and just work all day. <laughs> Right. John, I, I, lo I love that you see people going to the beach and that gives you anxiety, like people vacationing and relaxing. You're like, this is stressful. Like I want to. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I have the same problem here in Gozo. You know, the place I'm living is quite uh, like a tourist complex. So there's the pool right below. You know, people are sunbathing and stuff. And it's the same thing, you know, like I need to sunbathe. I need to train. I need to work. So it's there's all this conflict going on. Right. Yeah, I think, so I lived in Bali for a year and I do think there is issues with actually living at the beach and living in a vacation city or a vacation place where everybody else serves for vacation and you're the one person who basically tries to do work. That's part of the reason I like big cities such as Ho Chi Minh or Bangkok where, you know, all the locals are working and they're trying to build a better life for themselves. So I think that's a lot more inspiring than being around tourists or the typical sunbath. Yeah, I think that makes like a, makes a lot of sense, right? Like if you go where people are actually getting work done, you're going you're gonna to be able to fall into that schedule a little bit better. But if you're going to a vacation town and everybody is vacationing and you're the only person not vacationing, uh, you can only get so much work done sitting on the beach. Like there's only so much you can do. <laughs> if I can mention something else, I think from my experience, at least travel to these new, totally new locations where the culture is so different, it tends to bring big changes in you as well. And so you have to consider that you're traveling and these changes are happening. Maybe you're, you're getting into totally new stuff. Like perhaps you went to Chiang Mai, fell in love with yoga. Now you're all about yoga. You want to read everything. You want to go to a course. You want to go to a retreat in the mountains. Obviously, that's going to disrupt your routine, you know. So I think from my experience, my routine was disrupted. But uh, my business did much better when I every time I went abroad because I met people who inspired me, you know. And these meetings with people gave me insight into stuff that I could never have learned reading from books or just working all day at my laptop. No, that's fair. Um, let me ask you, so while I'm not likely ever to be a digital nomad and travel to that to that to quite that extreme, I do like to travel. I like to go see new places. I like to experience and, and I like to work in new environments. Like I do find inspiration and creativity in that, ex in that process. But I'll, I'll be honest, when I think about the idea of traveling any extensively into frequently to other places, man, that sounds really expensive. Like it seems like that nomad lifestyle would drain your bank account very, very quickly. You know, you're working in a cafe every single day. So, you know, as a good, as a, as a good patron of that cafe, you buy something every time you walk in there, 
probably more than once. You're eating out probably a lot. You're like all the travel to get there, your new accommodations, finding new accommodations, all that sounds very expensive and, and intimidating to someone say like me. How does that work? Is this something that only people who are fairly uh, well off can do or can anybody do this? Right. I think uh, part of the reason everybody goes to Asia or Chiang Mai in particular is that it's really, really cheap. So (laughs) I think there's this trend where in particular like early stage nomads, it's probably the other way around. Instead of having a lot of money, they're probably broke or pretty close to broke. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, if you've never lived in the U.S., this is hard to imagine. But I mean, you can get pretty decent accommodation in, say, Chiang Mai for probably $10 a night or so, probably less than that if you really want to save money. Um, that might include laundry service and like daily room cleaning. You can have amazing meals for like $5 or so. So it, it's, it can be incredibly cheap in particular when you go to Southeast Asia. And that is really why it's ground zero in the first place. That, that makes sense. Um, uh, I, I mean, I'm sure there are other places, say places in Europe that are not nearly as cheap, <laughs> right, to, to kind of yeah. do this kind of this kind of thing. But that would be my first thing. It, it would be that. And then you're right. I, from my perspective, right, I've I've been to Europe once. I've been to Mexico a couple times. Like I've mm-hmm. not traveled extensively outside of the U.S., uh, so I don't have the same frame of reference for what things cost outside of the U.S. But in the U.S., I can't even—I couldn't even imagine traveling to another state for a period of time without it becoming super expensive. James, I think one of the primary distinctions is where whether you're traveling constantly or whether you're able to settle down for say three, four months at at least in one place. That's when you start getting better deals on apartments, on transport. So I remember in Chiang Mai, I used to rent a motorbike for a hundred dollars a month and that was a brand new motorbike you know apartment costs around 700 800 dollars a month and again this was like a luxury apartment so you can definitely go cheaper right yeah that's interesting yeah i think one month one month at a time is kind of the it's that's the time frame where it starts to get cheap so where you kind of transition from daily rates onto monthly rates. I believe that like the standard in a lot of accommodation in Chiang Mai and also Bangkok seems to be roughly 10 nights at hotel rate would pay for one month monthly rate. So that makes a big difference. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And the good thing is that you can find these blog posts with which break down the costs of living per month. So there are a couple of those. Maybe David can suggest a few of his own and I'll post a few in the show notes as well. And in fact, Aliona did a breakdown of our lifestyle in Chiang Mai as well on her blog. I want So we've been talking a lot about the travels. We've been talking about the lifestyle. We've been talking about the places. I'd like to dive into the work now that gets done in this kind of a lifestyle. So before we do that, let's take one more break for our, our last sponsor, and then we will be right back. We'd like to take a moment to draw your attention to a new host in town, Prest Managed WordPress Hosting. Prest offers all the benefits and performance of a managed WordPress host running on Amazon Web Services with some compelling additional features for those of you doing work for clients. Prest is a white label service that lets you create your own brand and bundle hosting into the services you already provide. The best part is that they handle all the hard stuff like billing, customer support, and server maintenance. Put together pre-configured plugin and theme packages for your clients' needs and build a recurring revenue stream as a Prest partner. Check them out over at Prest.net and turn the hosting over to them so you can focus on a great client experience complete with hosting. 
Okay, so we've been talking about all of this. We've had some great locations. We've got some gr for people who are interested in and in how to do it, uh, how to do it cheap, where to start, uh, how to be productive, how to get the you know build your routines as you get into these places. Let's talk a little bit about the work now because we've been talking a lot about travel and where we do the work, but we've not really got involved into the nitty gritty of doing the work. So all of us are in the WordPress space specifically. David, I know a little bit of some of the stuff that you do because you've done some collaborating work with Ninja Forms, but I know that's not even by far the biggest chunk of what you do. What else, what kind of work are you doing right now? Yeah, so I've got a WordPress plugin company called fatcatapps.com and got a bunch of plugins there. We just released a new one last week. It's called QuizCat and it lets you build these kind of like lead generation or viral social sharing optimized quizzes that you might have seen on BuzzFeed and those type of sites. So we've just shipped that last week. I'm pretty excited about it. Very cool. Uh, so what? let's talk about WordPress because, you know, it's funny because I think most, I think both of you would say WordPress um, was an was an easy way or was a, a supportive way to support the lifestyle that you have. It, it's, it helped you, it supported your, your want or desire to travel because you could do it anywhere. Interestingly enough, WordPress let me not have to travel. Like I could stay right where I was in little Cleveland, Tennessee in the United States. And I mean, people get shocked when they drive by our office and they see our sign and they're like, oh, I've heard of you guys <laughs> like all over the place and you're in Cleveland? Like that doesn't make any sense. Like we, we get that all the time, but it, it, it afforded me the lifestyle to, to stay in a little town in the US and still make something and build something. But on the flip side, it's given you guys the ability to travel and, and see new places. What do you think makes WordPress um, so well suited for, for, that, for the kind of the digital nomad lifestyle? Well, I think with all these new technologies like WordPress or Skype, I guess Skype is not new anymore, but like 15 years ago, there was no Skype. 15 years ago, there was no WhatPress. Um, there was no AWS. Whatever you're building, it's getting so much easier to build really awesome stuff from your laptop to collaborate with other people like slack um i think that's what's that's what's driving this right um it's easier to be more productive from home or not from home but from anywhere in the world that you are and um that's that's this big change that has happened over the last 15 years it, it would really have not been like i 15 years ago i could have not done what i'm doing right now it would have just simply been impossible it's really amazing uh the kind of breakthroughs that the internet has uh broad for all of us here right yeah i would agree with that i think it's interesting that like all of us can work together like we can collaborate from different areas all over the world and really do some really cool things together that we might not otherwise have done we've seen this also in the music space right people who collaborate with music they'll lay down a track and then someone on the other side of the world will add another instrument on top of that and they build these like really this really dynamic music and we're seeing that in the digital space and perhaps uh, WordPress itself, if you take a look at the company, I mean, Automatic is, uh, was one of the first companies, I believe, which really promoted remote work heavily. And I think that's influenced the whole community of WordPress. So it makes it easier even to find and hire people who are proficient in WordPress and are already used to this lifestyle. I think that's true. I, I wonder, too, uh, as you guys have traveled to different places, has the WordPress community itself at large, this the meetup space, the WordCamp space, the all the things that are happening, has that impacted and made it easier in this process? Or do you find some of the places that you travel, there is 
a smaller uh, community that you're not able to necessarily connect to? That's kind of somewhat unrelated, but I went to this WordPress meetup here in Ho Chi Minh City about a year ago, and I was blown away. There was 60 or 70 people, and they were, they were all locals. They were all Vietnamese. I was the only foreigner, but there's all these all these local Vietnamese people that are either like freelance, you know, doing freelance work online, or maybe they're starting a blog, or they're like interested in like getting getting involved with the WordPress community and uh, doing interesting stuff. And that that's actually one thing that that blew my mind. John, what's been your experience with communities in different areas? I would assume that would be super fascinating to walk into a community that you don't have as much connection to and to see a, th- you know, sometimes I think even in WordPress, even though there's a, such an interconnected community, there is this bubble mentality that it's my circle of the world and what I'm doing. And we don't realize there's huge communities of people doing really awesome things all over the world. And so being able to travel into that world for a little while and see what's going on has got to be pretty, pretty invigorating. Yeah, I mean, like I said, WordPress has been one of the primary ways I make friends in every new location I visit. Obviously, there are areas where WordPress is not used that much for whatever reason. There are areas where local community might not be so open, so they, they wouldn't be into meetups that much. But in general, I would say, like I said, WordPress has enabled me to not only work online, but make friends online and meet them in person wherever I travel. Yeah, and John, you talked about the remote work aspect, how Automatic is kind of really focused on all of their staff. They don't have a physical office location. All of their staff is remote all over the world. Uh, you know, when we started the WP Ninjas, we made the the kind of the conscious effort that we wanted to be local. And we wanted to hire local, we wanted to keep, you know, hire people in one office. Uh, it's not that we were anti-remote work. We're actually very pro-remote work. But in the early stages of building a company culture, we wanted to have everybody kind of in the same four walls so that we could kind of circle the wagons around the table and talk about the product and talk about the issues at hand. But we have now started to do more with remote work. And it's definitely a challenge coming from a closed local. How does that how does that impact the work that you do? How easy has it been for you, not just to find work because now remote is more open, but for find collaborating work, people to work for you or with you. How has that has that been challenging? What is your process for for doing that? No, I think uh, I think David may be a little locked up on us. Challenges of digital nomadism. <laughs> it's true. I might be tempted to go to Vietnam for a month <laughs> before we go back to Barcelona. Uh, quick stay in Vietnam before Barcelona. Like that could work. There's still a small opening there. We can't fit in. <laughs> Spoken like a true digital nomad. It's hard, you know. Like even when I see David in that cafe. I'm so nostalgic. I just want to go right now back to Asia. You know? Well, let's let's finish the podcast first. <laughs> if we can get David back on. Probably the rain tore down some cables. Have you seen the wiring they have in Asia? I have not. The wiring is in the street. You know, you can see all the cables. And when it rains, it just messes with everything. They can just fall down. Yeah. That sounds safe. Safety is not, <laughs> not their chief concern. Doesn't even <laughs> exist. Do you have any other questions you are planning to ask? Um, I was just going through the list. I was going to talk about the remote work a little bit more. Talk about what is the experience of working with other people, finding people to work with. How do you go about now transitioning to just... All right, I'm back. Hey. Hey. (laughs) Vietnam internet. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, you know, that's another one of those issues with living in some developing country and not having a dedicated office. Um, 
Yeah. So as we're talking, so as we're talking about digital nomadism, uh, we've had several disconnections on this call. Let's talk about internet access as you travel. Is that problematic? <laughs> Actually, generally, it's not. Uh, the most difficult country to get set up with good internet at is actually Japan. Really? Which is very. There's a lot of yeah. There's a lot of bureaucracy. It's it's uh, it's pretty difficult to get a SIM card and to get it activated with the data plan. But generally, it's pretty simple. I've got uh, LTE on my mobile phone here in Vietnam. Uh, this free Wi-Fi at every coffee shop and at my apartment, which is generally quite fast. I, I can stream, you know, high-definition videos from Netflix or YouTube without problem. But randomly, the internet just sometimes, you know, cuts in and out, like just happened a few minutes ago. So there's apparently there's only one undersea cable that connects Vietnam and Hong Kong. And supposedly every couple of months, there's a shark that bites the cable. <laughs> and then the internet is slow for a few weeks afterwards. <laughs> like that's the actual reason that's offered. Uh, apparently, sh some shark chews onto the cable and then the internet is slow for a while. But generally, it's um, good enough to get work done, you know, mostly doing Slack. Um, I wouldn't want to run a call center. <laughs> But doing the kind of work that we do with email support, Slack, coding, writing blog posts, uh, it's generally not an issue. I can't express how much I hope that that's true, though, that a shark bites that cable. I, that's... There's actually some photos, <laughs> but they look, they look pretty fake to me. Yeah, it's probably way below <laughs> photographic depth. <laughs> yeah. David, how do you compare uh, Chiang Mai to Vietnam and specifically Ho Chi Minh City? All right. So I personally feel quite bored in Chiang Mai after a couple of weeks. It's very, it's a very small place. So I feel like it gets boring and it can be a little bit annoying to get around there as well because uh, there's no good taxi system. You basically have to rent a motorbike, right? And traffic's been getting much worse as well. While what I really love about my setup here in Ho Chi Minh City, I live right in the downtown area and everything that I'd ever need is within like a 10 minute walking distance radius. So all of the restaurants, all of the cafes, uh, bars, co-working space, gym, shopping malls, all this kind of stuff is within a 10 minutes walk from my doorstep, which I've never experienced. Like it would be so insanely expensive to be in, you know, say some major city in the US or whatever, where you're living right downtown and um, you've got all this stuff at your fingertips without ever having to commute at all. So that's one of my favorite things about the setup I've got here in Vietnam. And so how about the co-working spaces, cafes? Is it similar to Chiang Mai? Yeah, I think the cafes probably have better coffee here. Even Vietnam has a big coffee culture. They grow coffee beans here, but also, you know, we've got imported beans. Uh, there's a really big co-working space nearby with three stories. And I think they're going to open a second one later this year. And it's just full, uh, full of startups and full of locals who are building businesses, but also nomads and internet entrepreneurs. So it's a really good, uh, really good co-working scene. And there's lots of foreigners as well. Like Chiang Mai is full of, you know, people from all over the world. Yeah. Uh, so I haven't really connected that much with any WordPress people here, except a, a couple of locals. So the WordPress scene here seems much more local based on there being all these Vietnamese programmers who actually do WordPress work and maybe they're on Upwork or whatever. But in terms of the Dynamite Circle that I mentioned before, this uh, internet entrepreneur nomad community, uh, there's, a, there's quite a few people here, um, quite a few foreigners, but probably not the same as Chiang Mai. You know, when you're in Chiang Mai, one of the cool things about it in some ways is that when you walk down the street, you just randomly keep bumping into other nomads or even into your friends. While here, it's probably like a little bit more spread out. Um, it's probably 
just you know the percentage of uh, nomads that live in Ho Chi Minh City compared to the local population is much smaller, right? It's a it's a major city with like eight million inhabitants, so and maybe there's like a, a handful of nomads here. So while it seems that Chiang Mai is kind of being taken over by foreigners. I think uh, I think John is your talk about Vietnam is giving him the bug and now he wants to travel to Vietnam. I think is what's going on right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's booking tickets actually right now while we're talking. <laughs> yeah, you should come over. Uh, I'll help you get set up. <laughs> uh, that's that's pretty cool. Uh, all right, so let's. Uh, so we've talked a little bit about all of this stuff, and before we kind of got disconnected, I I started to pose a question about. Really, there's the idea of remote work and collaborating and working. And, and I think uh, Jean is actually interested, too, about the topic of hiring. Like, how do you go through that? The, how do you go through the hiring process when you're, I mean, what does that interview process look like when you're in a different location? And perhaps the person you're hiring is always in a different location. And how does that, how does that, what is the, what is that like? Yeah, so I'm still kind of experimenting with the best way to go about this, but I'm actually going to do another round of hiring over the next couple of weeks. And I guess I'll go from having a job posting to, you know, putting all these applicants into some trailer board. And then from there, probably do phone interviews with them via Skype and look at the code, have them do a test project, and then eventually determine whom to hire. So I've, so I've actually never hired anybody in person. So I guess I don't really have the comparison of what that is like. I'm just heavy on like using email and Slack or Skype chat and uh, Skype interviews for hiring. And that seems to work uh, quite well so far so you have you talked about starting it with this idea of a job posting where would you post that i mean is that something you post on your personal business site or do you have some other channels that is going to likely get more eyes from a greater community right yeah so i literally just talked with uh, brad tenas from uh, wp Migrate pro about this last week and he's a really big fan of authentic jobs okay which is this job board that I've not used before, but he seems to get really good developers of that job site. So that's what I'll probably be trying next. So what have you been doing up until now? Has that just been something you just kind of put on your site? It's been random. So at FatCadabs, we were three people, myself, and uh, got one developer and one support person. And both of us actually were through like connections. So I didn't actually put a job posting up there. Uh, met the current developer through Doug. That you you know him, uh, Sean uh, Doug from uh, Efficient WP, and uh, the support guy who now works for us is actually his roommate. So that was just completely like random, uh, serendipitous. But I found people on like various job sites before um, some some job sites that target the Eastern European market, like Romania or Ukraine, Russia, those kind of countries. I've had some success on those sites before. Um, I don't actually remember the names of the sites that I used, but and for you know just for contract stuff like short-term contract stuff, uh, Upwork uh, is is a pretty solid source of uh, you know freelancers. And so, David, how do you uh, manage the people? Do you employ them like on a full-time basis, or is it just contracts? Do you work on features or by hour? How does it work? So, developers. I've got two developers: one on FatCadabs and one on another project that's kind of unrelated to WordPress. Those are both full-time. You just get paid a monthly salary and basically I talk to them that there's some kind of backlog in some trailer board and we talk stuff through discussing Slack and at the end of the day they write this daily report which basically just contains like what did you do today, how did it go, were there any questions or any obstacles, anything blocking you, um, then you get like a 
whatever, three-sentence reply or so that just gives you a really good idea. Because they are also in different time zones, right? Like right now, one of my developers is in the US and the other one is in Romania. So I'm actually in a completely different time zone. So we kind of reliant on these kind of uh, end-of-day reports. The support and other stuff, I'm basically paying people on an hourly basis. So people track the time and then they get paid based on the amount of time they put in. And so for the full-timers, how do you handle, you know, like things like holidays and even the daily time? Do they have to put in, say, eight hours a day or is it just flexible? How does it work? Yeah, it's uh, so they've got flexible hours. They can start and finish working whenever they want. I don't track the time. Basically, the expectation is full-time as in 40-ish hours a week. But, you know, if somebody does 32 hours a week and has really good results, I'm not really going to dispute that either. So I'm, I'm, I think I'm pretty laid back when it comes to that. You definitely need the right people, though. I think there's plenty of people that wouldn't be able to deal with that kind of freedom. They would probably just end up procrastinating, not not doing anything. Um, yeah, there, there, there can be issues. Actually, I just had an issue unrelated to like my core team recently where I had this bookkeeper who was doing work for me and her hourly rate was pretty low, but she ended up billing me like way too many hours for a while and it, and the whole thing was automated via Upwork so I didn't actually realize it and then like three months later I was like oh shit was, like, <laughs> not, sure, not sure if I'm supposed to swear on here but um, anyways I, I, I looked at the billing statements and it turned out that you know she she worked on my bookkeeping for like a hundred hours per month or so and um, you're not that big of a business that it would bear in the hundred hours a month <laughs> and thanks to Upwork it was all being built automatically so um, yeah that kind of stuff happens I think that's the drawbacks of having a bit of a uh, like loose management approach but uh, generally it seems to work at least with core team members uh, it's it's worked for me so far and uh, I think one of the benefits of you know the way James does it with having an office is the kind of company culture that you can build when you have all the people in one place and possibly having a shared background as well how do you I know you're, you're still a small team but have you thought about this kind of thing yeah um, I think Meeting up in person is really important. So that was a big reason that I actually spent two months in the U.S. this year because uh, my Fatcat Labs team they're both uh, based in Portland, Oregon, and that's why that's why I went there and spent uh, spent more than a month there to finally meet them in person and you know collaborate and build like those personal relationships, which I do think are really important if you want to build up some kind of uh, company culture. I think it can be difficult when you when you never meet and maybe you only chat on Slack. You don't even you don't even talk on the phone. It can be it can be kind of hard. So yeah, in some ways, I'd love to have an office and just have everybody come there every morning. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy it. I've seen other companies have team retreats every year, sort of what you did there, and perhaps attend word camps together. Do you have anything fixed like that, like a name to attend, say word camp Europe or word camp US together? Um, we don't have any specific plans right now, but I was just there for a month and um, the main developer is probably going to come over to Asia for a month or two this winter. So, yeah, I think just keep, we're, we're a small enough team that we don't really need to make a big company retreat. You know, we are, again, we are three people uh, working on Fat Cadab, so I think uh, it's pretty easy to just make a concerned effort to, to meet up every once in a while. How, how do you handle that? So yeah, this year we tried going to WordCamp Europe as a team and that was really successful. Apart from that, uh, most of my team is back in Malta. So now that I'm here, that's one of the reasons why I'm here. Basically, same thing you did in Portland. And yeah, going forward, I think these team retreats 
would be our main point of contact also because we have one guy in indonesia as well so it's kind of hard to meet him so Hopefully we'll all be able to get together at what, at least one word camp per year. Yeah, I would definitely echo that in the in the sense that, I mean, we're all local now, but we are moving to the point where we're probably going to be hiring more remote workers as a part of our team. And so there, you have to have FaceTime, like you have to have in-person cultural let's do let's do business and life together for periods of time whether that be a retreat or having them come in for a month to your you know to your home base or whatever that may be i think you have to do that because otherwise you always get this i would think anyway from from a remote work side standpoint if you don't have that you always feel like an outsider of the company you don't necessarily feel like you have ownership and i am a part of this team because you're always just i'm always held at Slack's view. Like I can only get as close as Slack or I can only get as close as a Google Hangout and being able to be with the team and have some of those, you know, what, what I would call the, the inside jokes that you can only get by being together as a team for a little while that can carry you from event to event, I think is super, super helpful. Yeah, one other thing we do is have a Monday video meetup, sort of, so we can all see each other at least, you know, spend some, at least half an hour to an hour together and just discussing not only what we're doing in business, but specifically what, you know, what changed in our personal lives. You know, people can talk about what's happening around them, where they're living and something interesting. And that way we can get to know each other on a personal level, too. Yeah, that's a really good idea. I think I should start, start doing that. So, yeah. you know, with all, with all this stuff that we're talking about, like productivity loss due to travel, relocating, routines, uh, team stuff, I don't know, some people might argue this, but I think it's pretty hard to not have at least a small percentage productivity loss thanks to this uh, nomad and travel lifestyle. But, you know, if, if I or if my team loses 10% productivity in exchange for me being able to travel, to me personally, it's still worth it. So the trade-off would still be worth it to me. But um, I think that's a valid point, right? Like... We also have to understand as as entrepreneurs, as we're building our businesses, we're also building our life, our lifestyles, like we're building the lives we want to live. And if if the life that you want to live is out traveling and you're stuck in an office so that you can build culture and have more productivity, that's not the life like that's not what you want. And so you have to go after the thing that you want. And if that means, like you said, you you shave off 10 percent productivity because you want to travel that's that's probably a a um an acceptable loss to to have the lifestyle that you want to live and so i think that i think you're absolutely right on that let me let me ask you one last question as we kind of wrap this up we've talked about you know all the places that you travel we talked about having a remote team we've talked about hiring how do you handle and i know this is a, a conversation that jean really likes to have because he just had a recently a a whole episode where he talked about bitcoin how do you handle payments and paying your paying your people, especially when they're all you know maybe in different locations? You're in right now. You're in Vietnam. You said some of your, most of your team is in the the U.S. and Portland. And like, how do you handle payments for that? Yeah, I'm just using PayPal. So okay. PayPal is the main payment processor we use for the business, and I use PayPal to pay the team. So I think I lose one percent. So I think I, I believe I lose one percent or something along those lines when I pay my team using PayPal. Um, but I'm, I'm okay with that. I guess Bitcoin would be a pretty interesting way to pay people without paying any fees. Is that what you do? Or I'm, I'm pretty curious about this. 
Yeah, I got a transaction from Canada to, to Malta, basically. So the currency was from Canadian dollars to Euro and basically passed it through the Bitcoin network. So the other guy converted it to Bitcoin on his end. I received Bitcoin, changed it immediately to Euro and withdrawn to my bank account. And the fees were much lower that way. Oh, interesting. So it's just kind of unrelated, but Bitcoin used to have these huge issues with like the blockchain getting too small and uh, transactions taking like three days or so. Is, is that still the case? Because that would restrict your ability to do this kind of stuff, right? Because the Bitcoin exchange rate changes so much that if you have to wait three days to cash it in, maybe you lost like 20% or uh, <laughs> it's very volatile. No, they're still working on scaling it. However, for the one of transactions that we're mentioning here is just a matter of 10 minutes. So basically what you want to do is have both the persons online. So you transfer, he gets it in 10 minutes and transfers it back to Euro if he wants to do that. But some people prefer holding Bitcoin. So okay. in, in my case, I'm trying to hold Bitcoin as well. My take on this is if you're on the fence about Bitcoin, uh, talk to Jean because he wants to convince you uh, of, of the merits of Bitcoin. <laughs> we actually do have a whole episode where he, they, they go into great detail about Bitcoin and it was very fascinating. While I am not somebody who's really looking to jump on the Bitcoin bandwagon per se, I did find it very informative and very interesting. I learned a lot from it. All right. I'm going to go back and listen to that episode. <laughs> You have to also keep in mind that sometimes it can be a very attractive move if you're trying to hire in areas where they have problematic currency like Argentina, places where PayPal is not available or it takes days to get your money out of it and perhaps lose a lot in the currency exchange and fees. Yeah, I know we've talked a lot about the PayPal fees, right? Uh, you've written a blog post that gets a lot of traffic on how PayPal is basically screwing people uh, on the currency conversion. Anyways, that's kind of tangent. <laughs> it, it, it is a thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So, Jean, do you, before we uh, wrap up, do you have any other questions you wanted to ask? I don't know. I usually like to ask people what are their favorite apps and software that they use, perhaps on a daily basis, both in business and uh, on a personal level, even in terms of productivity, if you use any apps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I guess I've got the classic setup that both of you probably have as well of Trello and Slack and GitHub. So that's kind of boring. I've been getting a little bit into meditation. I'm doing like 15 minutes of meditation every morning and I use a app called Headspace. So that's that's pretty good. Um, let me pull up the phone and see. Um, nothing nothing crazy there. Outlook, uh, the Outlook, Microsoft Outlook app for iPhone is surprisingly good. It's a really good email and calendar client, which sounds very surprising, but basically what they did is they bought a couple of, um, they bought like this calendar startup and they bought this simple email client. They dismantled them and somehow merged them into Outlook and now it's actually a good application. Um, I'm going to say this is probably the only tech podcast that you will ever hear somebody recommend Outlook as the, <laughs> 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 as the choice. Yeah, I think I think that's why it's worth mentioning because um, it just it just kind of it, it it blows your mind. It's actually a good product. Um, that's awesome. That's cool. You know, like anything like five six years ago, it was just just terrible. Yeah, no, that, that's fair. <laughs> Yeah, Headspace is a good app. Uh, I use Calm, which is quite similar. You know, they, those are the two biggest meditation apps as far as I know. And I also use Productive or Productivity 
it's an app on the iPhone where you can just set habits and you know can I does anybody else see the irony of meditate using your phone to meditate like like <laughs> not to disconnect and like I'm gonna use I'm in order for me to disconnect from the world I need an app on my phone to meditate <laughs> like that seems kind of ironic to me maybe it's because you view the phone as a distraction <laughs> sometimes <laughs> So there actually is this issue where, um, so I meditate in the morning, right? And in order to download the next meditation, I actually need to connect to the internet so that Headspace can download the meditation. But what happens oftentimes is they start getting all these notifications because it's just the first time of me turning on the phone in the morning. So yeah, I think I think you're making a good point there. Um, <laughs> Although I want to check out the I want to check out the app. I th I think it sounds interesting, but uh, I just it was just kind of funny when you think about wanting to be have a more present kind of life and and then in order to do that we download an app to, to make me more present in the now and anyway just makes me laugh yeah yeah i guess that's how far we've come as a society <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome well with that in mind david you said you just launched an app earlier in the episode you want can you tell everyone what that is again yeah uh, it's called Quizcat, and so basically what's happening is all these people are starting blogs and content marketing is a huge thing and the space is getting pretty crowded. And I think there's a lot of opportunities for people to do like more interesting stuff with the content. And one thing that could be done is build quizzes, which is something that works really well for BuzzFeed to getting a, a ton of shares. Um, so QuizCat is just a really simple plugin that, you know, if you anything from which WordPress host is right for you to which Game of Thrones character are you? Uh, those kind of things you can build really easily. They look good out of the box and it's optimized to get you more social shares. And there's also an email opt-in component so you can have people uh, enter the email address in order to see the results. That's awesome. Where can uh, people find that? Yeah, just go to fatcatapps.com and you'll find a link to it right there on the homepage. Very cool. David, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us, kind of share the world that you're living in and talking, you know, discussing this, uh, this idea of digital nomadism with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you, David. Yeah, thanks so much. It's been fun. Well, thank you, David, once again for joining us on this episode. That was really interesting. I also learned uh, a few things myself about especially Vietnam, which sounds like a very interesting place to, to be as a digital nomad. So I'd like to ask you to leave any questions that you have about digital nomadism or questions in general. You can always send them to podcast at mastermind.fm. But if you have any questions about digital nomadism in particular, you can also leave a comment below this post. So go ahead and uh, let us know what your questions are and I'll also get David to chime in if necessary. So that's it for from us today. You can find me on Twitter at Jangalea and Jangalea.com and you can find James on Twitter at JamesLaws and on his website JamesLaws.com. If you enjoyed this episode, as usual, please leave a review in iTunes and subscribe on Mastermind.fm. Thanks guys, take care and we'll see you in the next episode of Mastermind.fm.